Hi there and welcome to another digital tourism show. I hope where you are, you're staying well and you're staying safe during the lockdowns. In this episode, we have the pleasure of once again speaking with Peter Syme of A Thousand Mile Journeys, Splash Whitewater Rafting and Disrupt Travel. In this episode, which was filmed live, we are speaking about the effects of COVID and what the future holds for tour operators and tourism businesses alike. So Peter offers some amazing insights. It's an episode you really do not want to miss. So once again, welcome to the Digital Tourism Show, episode 241. How are we? Ah, uh, we're good. Same, another day, lockdown, looking out the window, but all good. Yeah. So, if anyone's been to a travel massive before, they'll know who Peter is. Um, but for those who don't know, Peter signed of a thousand mile journeys and obviously disrupt travel, splash whitewater rafting. Anyone who knows Peter is a, a very outspoken, but a vastly experienced veteran when it comes to uh, tour operators. You no, know, he's a business advisor. Um, so. Peter, can't thank you enough for for joining us online. I know you're a, I know you're a man in demand. So, uh, well, I'd like to be in more demand than I am at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to be actually delivering some of the stuff we should be, rather than the stuff we are at the moment. Uh, I can imagine. So, for those two or three who who may be watching who don't know who you are, and do you want to just give a brief o- of overview about yourself and and uh, and what you do in the industry? Sure. Uh, fundamentally, I'm a tour operator of inbound tours into Scotland. Uh, still some in Morocco, uh, used to have a tour operator in Spain, and I have an outbound tour operator that goes to various uh, challenging places around the world to do long expeditions anywhere between four and 12 weeks. Obviously, that was pre-COVID, not so much during COVID, or not at all during COVID. Uh, out with tour operating, I do uh, strategic advising uh, to tour operators and uh, expedition operators around the world, uh, and also speak at various travel conferences around the world. Yes, and if anyone's ever been to to Arrival or, or any of these other events and heard Peter speak, um, it's, 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 he knows his stuff. He's been there. It's, it's probably nothing. Um, if, if it's not been tried and tested, it doesn't exist. I think, Peter, I think you've pretty much tried and tested everything that's out there. So, well, I hadn't tried COVID. <laughs> <laughs> this is a new one to me. I've had a few disasters. But if you're in travel, you have disasters. I didn't have a complete shutdown of the travel industry before. That's new. <laughs> that silly is new. So uh, on that, so um, you've been a bit like myself, where you've opened up your uh, amazingly opened up your diary to speak to countless tour operators all over the world um, uh, and offering your advice and your help during the the COVID crisis. So from, from uh, and I know some people watching this and listening to this will have a general idea of how bad things are, but. From your perspective, from speaking to other operators, etc., how bad really is some of these businesses and, and the industry as a whole at the moment? I've been I've been lucky enough over the last six seven weeks uh, to speak to a range from the industry, and the range that I've spoke to sort of represents the industry. About eighty percent were small businesses from about sixty odd countries. So when I say small businesses, tour operators who are themselves or employing a couple of people up to five people probably turning under turning over under 250k i've spoke to a range of tour operators who are in that kind of middle sector who have multiple destinations a lot of staff some monthly bills that they can't get rid of so really exposed during this time uh, i also spoke to quite a few of the really large tour operators kind of turning over 50 60 70 million and more and as well as having a quite a few chats with the technology companies that are in the space that support all of us because we don't exist without the technology being in there as well. So I've had a broad feedback from the whole industry, both day tour operators and multi-day, because people tend to forget about multi-day, but it is a major part of our industry. And it's, it's all bad. There is no easy way of saying it. It is all a complete and utter disaster. No one is doing well at the moment. No one is even doing slightly well. There is still some bookings happening. Some people are managing to do bookings, not to deliver today, but bookings forward for the back end of the year for 2021. But we're talking single figure percentage, one, two percent. And someone who's used to getting 50 bookings a day 
and maybe getting one booking every three days it is, it is a disaster in every sector of the travel industry. No matter how big or how small you are, it's a disaster for everybody. No one's ever seen anything that shut down travel globally before. We've seen things that shut down travel. Chris, before the previous uh, presentation from Chris, mentioned the Icelandic ice cloud. I was trapped in Morocco when that happened. So I can remember that uh, vividly. We had the 2008 financial crash. We had the 2001 uh, terrorism sitch off and all the, the wars of that. Nepal had a whole close season in 2015. So there's always disaster in travel. So businesses need to be resilient and need to think about disasters and have a plan. But no one had a plan. No one had a plan for the whole travel world just closing down. Certainly didn't, uh, and I, I've spoken about this a few times before, and uh, I know I, I know mentioned to yourself is it's the only other thing that would be parable to this is if there was a world war going on that was shut yeah. down the whole the whole industry. This is how this is what people need to realise. This is how bad things are at the moment. Um, uh, though everything from the, the guy who makes mega bucks in the corporate companies all the way through down to the guy who sells hot dogs in the corner stand in New York, every single person is affected by this. Um, and you're going to start to see some big businesses start to shut down. I know here in the UK, you've got a lot of the retail starting to shut down with Debenhams and all these other places going into the administration. That's just going to have a snowball effect into other businesses and other sectors. So it's uh, it's it's a hard time for everyone at the moment. Um, but as, as we're going to hopefully talk about today, there are opportunities out there as well uh, sure. in terms of what we can, we can look forward to. Um, so again, this chat was to provide some insights and to help the viewers and the listeners watching this um and how some businesses can try to pivot their business in terms of creating new opportunities from this disaster so what's your take on the steps that they must take now to survive you no know, do you see some businesses completely changing the types of products and the tools that they they have and the types of things that they offer um or what, what would you say is the things that businesses have to well, sort of be looking well, at the, the first thing is the obvious one and although this is obvious i'm still speaking to businesses who haven't done this enough <laughs> and this is something that should have been done 5 weeks ago you have to cut your cost to the bone, right? You just have to, this is the level of disaster that you have to get your cost back to the minimum cost you can spend on a monthly basis because that will give you a longer runway of survivability. And I've, I've spoke to many businesses who have a bit of reserves and they've made a decision that they're going to keep spending at X for X number of months. They shouldn't. They should be cutting that cost to give them more months if this goes on longer than what we're hoping. Because when you're in these situations, you have to plan for the worst scenario and hope for the best. But you can't plan for the best scenario. And people were initially were planning for opening again in June and July. And just it's just not going to happen at any scale, even the back end of this this year. If we, anybody gets any trade at all this year, they've done well. But you can't plan for that. You have to plan for the worst scenario. So the number one thing is get your cost back to the minimum you can operate to keep the business alive and just so you can survive for the longest runway. Because the runway for this could be very long indeed. And depending on the type of operator you are, the long the runway will be longer for some than others. Those that are exposed to long-haul international travel, that's going to be a longer runway than those that can get local business. So the first thing is cost. Get them paid back to the minimum. The next thing is you've got to understand timelines. For some operators, the timelines are very simple. If you're a UK operator, operating the UK and your customers are UK customers, your timeline's the same. You're listening to the UK government giving you the timeline that you're likely to be open with because your customers are on the same time as you. If you get open, your customers are able to do business. Straightforward, simple. And the UK government keeps talking about 20, uh, 12 weeks up, 12 weeks down, so potentially 24 weeks from the start in in March. So that's really important to understand your timeline because all the projects you're doing, all the tasks you're doing at the moment, or you should be doing at the moment, go on your timeline in an order of priority. Where it gets a bit more confusing is when you have international customers and customers that come from different destinations because you also need to understand their timelines because if you hope to get them in the future, you need to understand when they're open, when you're open, because both ends need to be open in order to do business. If for an operator that looks through their customer database and suddenly finds that their data is split between 10 different international destinations, that means they're understanding 10 different timelines. But you must go through that exercise because you have to make some 
balanced judgments on what destinations it's going to be worth working with in the near to medium term or worth marketing to. Because obviously it's irrelevant marketing to a destination that cannot physically get you customers here. Or even when the, uh, the transport lines are open again and flights are open again, there may be no demand from that destination to come here. So you have to make some logical decisions based on where your customers are coming from. The previous disasters have taught us one thing, and this one's no different. Disaster recovery always comes local first, regional second, long haul last. Every disaster is always recovered in the same way. The difference is, historically, the gap between domestic tourism recovering and long haul was normally pretty short, in many cases under 12 months. It ramped up pretty quick. There's pretty strong arguments that's not going to happen this time because domestic tourism will open, but it won't open completely because there's going to be restrictions on what you can do and what you can't do. And I have no idea what them restrictions are going to be, but I know there's going to be restrictions. Regional tourism will definitely open before long haul because we're in this thing called EU, even though we've decided to leave because we're all mad. But the rest of Europe will want to get the borders with other countries in Europe open quickly. Because if they leave them borders shut, that is a fundamental crack in the, the function of the EU. So they need Spain needs to be open with France. Spain needs to be open with Portugal. Italy needs to be open with Germany. The EU needs to get them borders open. So if they get them borders open, you've got to, you've got to say there's going to be regional travel reasonably quickly. It may not be on planes. It may be driving. It may be by train. But there will be regional travel within the EU long before you're going to get long-haul international travel. And long-haul international travel is going to be the last thing to recover. Now, obviously, you have customers as a tour operator in Scotland or wherever you are in the world, wherever your destination is, you need to look at the destinations where all of these customers come from and then start making balanced decisions on where you're going to get your new customers from for a period of time. So if I'm an Italian operator in the north of Italy, which is a region that's been decimated, a lot of these Italian operators relied heavily on long-haul international USA customers. In the short, medium term, they're not going to see them. They're just not getting them back. Therefore, they have a border with Austria. They have a border with Germany. They have a border with France. They need to start redoing the product that suits the markets that's closest to them because these markets are probably, for a period of time, the only markets they're going to have access to. Now, this is easy to say, hard to do. An Italian operator who's been selling a pizza-making experience to a USA customer for $90 can't sell that pizza-making experience to an Italian for a dollar. It's just not happening. Again, so the product has zero value as it is to the locals. Therefore, it's a product change if you target in local. may not be as much a product change if you're targeting German or French or Austrian, but it will still be a change. There's probably a pricing change and then finally, there's a marketing change because you have to reach the market and change it all that. Those three things for some operators are incredibly difficult and should not be underestimated. But the alternative to doing them is your business is dead because you're not going to get long haul international travel for a long time. In my opinion, probably two years at any volume because mm -hmm. you don't get this back until we get a vaccine. And vaccine ain't going to be one discovered, two produced, three distributed in any quick time. It's going to be a two-year two year minimum exercise to do that. And even if you do get travel back, the travel is going to be down because it's going to be restricted. People are going to get tested getting on aeroplanes, get tested getting off aeroplanes, which is going to damping that long-haul travel. Therefore, your local market and your regional market, even if you don't want that market, you're going to have to have that market. It's the only market you're going to get. And your products, your pricing, and your marketing has to address that, not the market that you really want. Hopefully, we get back to the market you want at some point in the future, two years down the line. But in the short term, survivability is about what you can do, not what you want to do. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't have said that better myself. No, I've been like you, you yourself, where I've been opening up my diary to various operators, and I've been speaking to them basically saying, no, at least 12 months, and I agree with you, I think it could be a bit longer than that in terms of before international travel really picks up. So they're going to have to start thinking about what are they going to do in their business to to capture the local market, to pivot their business. And the, the problems that I'm seeing at the moment is 
that a lot of operators are trying to shoehorn in their current product range for a local market. And it's like, no, you, if, you, if you're running a bus tour around your city, if you have to become a food tour com, a food tour provider or something else, it's going to be more for a local based or, or, or more of a, an outdoor activity, which I think is going to be obviously huge for coming up um, outdoor activities and things like that at the local level. Um, they're going to have to pivot their business drastically. Um, I've, I've heard of some businesses or some people saying they're just going to park the business and, and go and do something else, you know, work in a call centre or something like that. And if that's what they'd want to do, that's fine. Personally, if it was me, I would still want to work in the actual industry and do something different. Even if it wasn't my passion, I would still want to be in that industry. I know that's just me. But what would you say to businesses who, who are finding it hard to pivot at the moment and finding it hard to, to change their product range you know, or maybe just too stubborn to do so? You know, what, would you, what would your advice be for them? It isn't if they're too stubborn to do so, well, they're out of business. It's as simple as that. <laughs> and you're either in business or you're you're not. You you have to have that desire, want, and this time you have to be able to fight for a long period of time to stay in business. This is a fight. And if you're not up for the fight, go and do something else. And it's not going to be easy to do something else either in a lot of sectors. But there is work in the sectors elsewhere that are doing okay. So if you want to stay in it, again I come back to you have to do what you have to do, not what you want to do. And for you have to change your products. It's easy to say it's hard to do. Changing a product, actually, I think is not that difficult. Changing the market thing for your product when you've built your history delivering something else is incredibly difficult. In some cases, it's changing the language, changing the reach, and how do you get to these French customers if you've never dealt with French customers before and they're on your border? Therefore, you this is incredibly difficult stuff for, for people to do product and marketing. However, there's one or two things that may be able to help you. <laughs> the OTAs, not my favorite people in the world, but they're there for a reason. And they might just be the ones that allow you to put your new product up because you've already got a relationship with them. Therefore, it'll be a case of you loading the product. It should get up fairly quickly. You can market test whatever you come up with via the OTAs. Because if they can't sell it, you're not probably going to be able to sell it. But you're not taking the cost of trying to market that in the short term. Obviously, if you see some traction, you then double down on your direct marketing with it as well and trying to get it, get it out there. The OTAs have an advantage in the current situation when we come out and we start traveling again, that because of their global reach, they can laser target their marketing spend on whichever destinations open first. And none of us know which destinations are going to be open first and which tourism happens first. But OTAs will be able to, if Sydney, Australia opens first, they and it's the only city in the world that's trading. The OTAs target that city with all their laser-focused marketing spend. So they have an advantage over all of us that they can target wherever opens and really focus on it. So they could be your friend from testing product if you've never done it before. And obviously, they target to all the different nationalities in the language that they they want. Partnering with other businesses. Right? You may see your local businesses as competition. And I said this six, seven weeks ago when this thing started, we didn't realize how big it was going to be. I said, you really need to start speaking to your competition now because you want to cut your back-end costs jointly. So if you're all using a higher bus each, let's use one higher bus between the three years and cut the cost between the... We've gone way past that now. That was six, seven weeks now. Maybe now is the time to actually merge with two or three of your local competitors because three brains are better than one and come up with some new products or one of them is a slightly different product that does work. Your product doesn't work, but you've got resources that that guy hasn't got. So this is a time for really thinking about what you need to do, not what you want to do. If you want to stay in travel, because I'm also very confident that travel will be back and mm -hmm. travel will still be a great industry and a big industry and people are always going to want to travel, but we have to get to that point and we don't know when that point is. I, I'm betting on it being a long way away. Therefore, I'm structuring my own businesses to be able to cope with the short and medium term because what I want, I think, is a long way away. And if it does happen sooner, it's a bonus. Uh, yeah, if it happens sooner, no, nobody's going to be complaining if it uh, happens sooner. And if some of the stuff I've written, done in webinars and people are saying, oh, you're wrong, well, I'm over the moon, I'm wrong. I'll be jumping, okay, and I'll be running down the street naked if I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> <laughs> I know if I get a few beers down, you probably would. <laughs> so, in, in terms of to go, to go back to what you were saying, in terms in terms of uh, business pivoting, would you 
Um, I know my take on this, but it'd be good to get your take on it. Would you say if it meant a business had to completely rebrand uh, for that for a local market, um, they'll park their current brand um, and their current resources, but create a new brand? I know that will come with issues with yeah. you no know, rebuild SEO and all these other things again. But yeah. would you recommend that's maybe something they would need to uh, probably do? If they have to do it, but I would say that's your last option. You have to explore everything before that. Can you partner with somebody else who is in a different sector of tourism who's more suited for local travel? Because you've got to remember, there's a lot of tourism operators suited to local business. And it depends which country you're in. If you're in the USA, if there's any operators here for the USA, 90% of their tourism is internal anyway. And there's only 10% of USA clients leave the USA. So they've got a 90% in tourism tourism market the only one that's bigger in the world is china that's a massive internal market the uk is a 63 percent internal market so some destinations have big tourism markets anyway that will be boosted if the people who normally leave can't leave so all the people heading to spain every year from can france and all the rest of it, if they can't go that's 63 percent of the uk a uh, 67 percent uk tourism market is actually boosted so you really need to get in amongst this there's some destinations, just by their geography and by what's happened, don't have a big internal market. Portugal only has a 9% internal market. Spain's only got an 18% internal market. So southern European states like Greece, Italy, Spain, Portugal, they really need this regional travel. They can sort of survive without long haul, but they really need regional travel opening up. They need the UK people to be able to go there. They need the French coming down. They need the Scandinavians coming down to these southern European countries because they don't have much of an internal market. So in their case, it's not just changing the product. They're changing the product for a market that hasn't really got any background of doing internal tourism products. So that is where you really jump into a completely new, different part of the industry. And there's many people in Spain go out and eat a meal, go out and drink wine, but that is the limit of their interaction with tourism destinations. They don't purchase anything else to do with, with tourism. Some accommodation, eat a meal, drink some wine. So I would say rebranding is the last thing you do after you've explored every single option. Because in most brands, there'll be something within your brand that you can probably uh, change to allow new products to be introduced. Or you can go and work with another operator that has a more suitable brand. I just think a complete rebranding is the last thing you have to look at the opportunity of that. If you do go down that line, you make it work. You come out of this with two businesses. You've then got a local business. And then as the international and regional traffic comes back, as it will at some point, you then have two businesses. So there is an opportunity cost there yeah. as well. If you're focused enough, determined enough, can see the local market that you want to service, you've got the skills and ability to do it, you're basically building a new business. And that's the one thing that people have at the moment is time. So... It's exploring all the options. Uh, time, is, time is something that we all have in abundance. One thing that uh, tour operators, myself included, are all rubbish at is making content, creating content. We all talk about it, but we're not that great at doing it. Every single operator in the world at the moment should be making a content bank. We've all got the time. Fill that bank with your next two years worth of content. Don't use it. Just stick it in the bank. Use drip feeds at the moment. Use some stuff at the moment suitable for the time. Your conversion content, your videos, your photographs, all the stuff that you would use normally that you don't get round to doing because you're too tired after running tours all day, get it done now, stick it in the bank. And then for the next two years, when you're really focused and trying to rebuild your business, you're not going to be worried about going out and having to write that article at half past nine at night once you've got in from a tour. Great advice. And it's, it's advice I give all the time. It's, it's like create a backlog of stuff and then you've got it there ready. If, if new things come into it, you post them up, fine, but at least you've got something to fall back on. You're not always chasing your tail all the time. It's, it's, sure. it's, it's well. And then again, everyone's got the time now just to do so. Um, but as you can imagine, we've had a, a few questions come in. Sure. Uh, so I'm going to start going through these. One is just, it just says Facebook user. So unfortunately, I don't know who this is. Um, will the local regional market be large enough to sustain? tourism economy again i suppose that would be dependent on the destination that depends on the destination if, if you're in the uk 67 uh, percent is definitely and you're going to have the extra people on top of it because there is a culture of doing that but like i say if you're in portugal the fact that and the portuguese are staying at home in portugal but they haven't got a tradition of using their own tourism products so it, it really does depend on destination 
you have to speak to your local, uh, your equivalent of the DMO, the people who has the data. So anybody in any country listening to this, get in touch with the people who have the data, your internal market versus your international market tourism that's coming in. You need to understand your internal market. Don't go start building things, new products, new marketing until you understand who you're marketing it for and does it does that market exist? Have they got a willingness to purchase? So you need to get that data from each. Uh, if anybody wants to message me after this, I have a global set of data that allows you just numbers. You need to be comfortable with spreadsheets, but it lets you know the size of internal markets purely in numbers, how many million pounds are spent in the internal market rather than internal tourism coming in. So first of all, understand, do you have a market? How big is the market? Where is it before you start building the but if you do have one, it's more than big enough. You can build. It's the same market. It's people people just not drive going from the USA to Italy. Are suddenly staying in the USA, but they're going to spend some money in the USA. May not well, spend. As, they may not spend as much as the obviously the flight and the accommodation. They may not spend as much, but they are still going to spend money in the USA. Well, that's the thing, though. People, when we when we come out of this, will just want to escape and get out there and explore and, and get outdoors, and, and and they will want to travel. Just because they can't fly doesn't mean they're they're going to sit in their homes or sit in their gardens and not go anywhere. They'll do it in their own destinations or the or the surrounding destinations. So people will want to travel. It's just human nature to do so. Just to get out from the same four walls, you're going to be stuck in for 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 months on end. So, um, so I, I don't see why the local markets can't can't increase a lot more uh, in the coming months. Um, so we've got a question from Anne and Daly. Do you think the local product has to be an experience rather than a, a tour as people driving are more likely to find themselves rather than pay a guide? So more experiences rather than tours? Good, good question. Uh, and yes is the answer. If, you, if you're pivoting or changing to the local, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the local. Now, I'm in Scotland. Chris is in Scotland, so I'll use Scotland as an example. And I'll use one of my operations as an example. People pay us to do experiences because we take them down rivers or canyons and they can't really do it themselves. Themselves, So people will pay for that experience. But is it a local Scots guy going to get on a bus and drive around the sites of Scotland as a tour? The chances are no, because one, he can do it in his car himself and two, he's probably already done it and knows all the sites and the history and stuff like that. So selling a tour using a lot of the cultural and history of your destination to your local customers is an exceedingly hard ask. But selling an experience where you're doing something that the individual can't do on their own is a bit easier. So this comes back down to product market fit. When you're designing, if you are pivoting, if you are changing, if you are to try to do something new, you need to understand your market and you need to understand what you're trying to do with them. And like I say, don't try and sell that pizza making class to an Italian for a dollar because he ain't buying it. And again, and a Scotsman's not buying a tour around Loch Ness, Ben Nevis, and Stirling Castle on a bus either. So you really need to get the right product ma match in the market. Uh, and that's where a lot of thought and innovation needs to go in. Uh, I'm also convinced we're going to see lots of new, nice products come out of this because again, bad times force people to do stuff they probably wouldn't have done before. So I'm expecting to see lots of new experiences and new products come out of this that will actually last the long term and actually have a have a, uh, a great long-term future and make people good businesses. For sure. Uh, I can't agree more. Uh, we've got a number of other questions. I'm just going to bring these up as well. Um, so I think I'm going to be busy, Peter. <laughs> uh, we've got here what we've got... Uh, Salvatore, any recommendations on how to make some money in order to survive these months that we are in lockdown? I think we have to reinvent the industry with digital products experiences. So what's your take on things like virtual tours and digital products? Do you think, is that something we should be focusing on just now? Is it just taking people's time away from, from, from other I, aspects? I have, I have conflicting views on this and I would love to be proved wrong on the second bit I'm going to say here but the, the first bit is if you're producing digital virtual products you, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're producing content. So that stuff you hated doing before, you're now doing it. Right? So you're producing content. So that's a tick. That's a positive. Use that content now to do try and drive whatever you're trying to drive, whether it's selling an experience or selling a voucher or just engaging with your past customers. 
So producing content is good. Just make sure you can reuse that content. If it's totally for this time and minute, it's probably in a style that's not reusable in 18 months' time. So think about that when you're producing it. So tick content. What is that content doing? It's developing a deeper relationship with your customer. Now, the only thing a tour operator has that is strategic value, which I repeat time and time and time and time again, the only thing you have is strategic value is your relationship with your customer. Everything else can be better, more money spent on it, you buy better technology. Somebody can beat you in everything apart from your relationship with your customer and how deep you make that. So you're producing content and you're deepening your relationship with the customer. Two things that I'm always ranting on about. So I think this is great. When it comes, oh, and it's also a new marketing channel. What we're actually doing collectively without any coordination is there's currently tens of thousands of operators creating virtual experiences. Therefore, that is a new marketing channel. Somebody will come along and aggregate all that and make some business out of it. Some, somehow, I'm sure it's a new marketing channel. So we're creating content, we're deepening the relationships, and we've created a new direct marketing channel. Three things that are brilliant. My negative on it is does it make any money? If the money is to be paid for the digital product. Not money down the line when you get a customer because you've deepened the relationship and entertained them. It definitely makes money further down. Line, but does it make money at this time to help you stay in business? I'm waiting for the data to come from many companies who are trying it and hopefully prove me wrong. I know people are selling, they're getting $10, $15, doing so many sales a day. So that's great. But I have a feeling a lot of these sales are sympathy sales. What's a sympathy sale? That's past customers who are feeling a bit sorry for the tour operator they had a great experience with last year. So I've made one purchase, they're probably not going to purchase again. And then there's the opportunity cost. This stuff isn't easy to do well. Therefore, all that effort and time you're doing it, could that time be better spent on some things else? Mm -hmm. Therefore, it comes down to what is your real desperate need? Do you desperately need cash that much to just survive that every $15 is going to make a difference or pay your guy $15? Or if it's that desperate for cash, are you better actually hibernating the business or hibernating what you do or if your guide not doing it and going and get, getting a job tend to just hibernate the time out? So it is, I want to be proved wrong on this because I think it'll be fantastic if we have created a new revenue channel, but all industry sectors, when they produce a digital product, the price of that digital product eventually erodes to zero. That, that's just the rules of digitalization in the digital area. Whatever it starts it, it gets eroded and it goes to zero. People normally have that model where you get a massive reach by your digital products and digital services, but you make the money doing something else. But that comes back to it being a new channel, comes back to it being again, a great marketing resource, but the money comes much later down the line. I just don't see the money coming at the point of purchase in sufficient quantities to keep businesses going businesses alive i hope i'm wrong I'm, I'm wrong all the time so i'm probably end up wrong on this as well one or two companies may find out they're actually better at this stuff mm -hmm. than they are at running tours so you might yeah. get one or two companies and who end up doing fantastically well at it but is the industry going to do fantastic well at it not are we as good as netflix amazon for nine bucks a month no we're not mm -hmm. That's uh, that is an, interest, is an interesting take. No, I suppose a similar thing could have been said about something like audio tours or something like that. Um, but I, I think I agree with you. I think for most businesses, it's it's just putting a laster plast on on the current situation. Um, it's something maybe nice to do for your current customers to keep them engaged, but to make money from it. But maybe one, as you say, one or two companies might do really well out of this, and it's, it's going to be a new niche for market for them. But it is only going to be one or two companies. It'll be them will be specialised in that. People will know that company because it's a virtual tour for everyone doing it. Um, and as you say, you know, I put out so much free content. I know you do a lot of free webinars and everything else. People start to expect this sort of stuff for free eventually. So yeah. uh, and it's more of a lead into into other things and that sort of stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard one. It really is a hard one. But I'll let I, you I, have I, I do. I do think there'll be a, a group of operators who do it pretty well. They don't make money from it, but they do it pretty well and they keep it in their marketing mix going forward. Because they realize the, val the value of it from getting engaged customers and deepening that engagement, realize the, the value from the reach, and realize uh, the value as a marketing channel. So I don't think it will go away. I think it will grow, and it will become yet another part of your marketing mix 
in your business once we're once we're up and trading again. So I think it's here to stay, and I think it's got loads of positives. The positive to me is just not I'm not going to make enough money to pay my bills out of that. It may help me convert more customers for the stuff that does pay my bills. Though. Yeah. Well, okay, uh, before we finish, if you don't mind, I've got three more questions uh, yeah. and we'll wrap it up there. Um, two of them are from LinkedIn, which unfortunately I can't put on screen. Yeah. Uh, that part hasn't worked with the software yet. Um, yeah. One of them is from uh, Pierre Cruff, um, and he's asked, um, how do you find the support from the government in the UK coming across? Is it helpful or do you feel let down at the moment for, for the travel industry? Uh, probably the wrong person to answer because I've always believed you stand on your, t- your own two feet and don't ask the government for nothing. So uh, probably the wrong person to ask. They've come up with the schemes. Uh, I know the grant scheme for people with premises has paid out to many. My own application's been in 29 days now. It's not been paid. I've had no communication saying why it's not been paid. I have a generic email back. So that 10-day turnaround for grants is not really working as far as my personal experiences goes. But I know other people that got it in day 12, day 10. So it has worked for others. The furlough scheme... I think is great because it allows employees to get a revenue coming in, get and pay their bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bit I find a bit strange about it is this ban that people shouldn't be working when they're on furlough. So the government is basically paying people to destroy the productivity of the economy, which and not everybody, who, yeah, mm-hmm. not everybody who's on furlough can work. Obviously, if you're a if you're a chef, it's difficult to work if you're on furlough. But people who work in the digital and many of the people who work for tour operators on furlough can be worked. So I find that non-working when you're on furlough just idiotic. And that just tells me there's nobody in government that understands economies and can how to build it. We've got an issue with productivity in this country anyway, and they're just enhancing it by telling everybody to sit up with a drink wine and put their feet up. So I don't understand that, but the loan package is obviously by the numbers that's coming in it's huge available cash but is it really available because people are really struggling to access the loans because the banks are applying really awkward processes to get to it uh, if the money is there and you want to borrow i just question two real operators to can you use can you work with that finance or debt you're taking on if your business is at 50 percent of the volume you had before so it may be a lot of the reason as well as the bank's been awkward to get to the money. There may not be the demand the government thinks there will be for debt because a lot of business owners will be doing the runway cash flow projection. And if this is what my future businesses looks like, I can't afford to take that debt because I'm not going to be able to pay it. Mm-hmm. Therefore, yeah. I do think they made an effort. I just don't think they have enough people in government who have run businesses to actually do stuff that makes makes a difference. I mean, the biggest yeah. thing that could make a difference is all the hundreds, millions of people on furlough, millions of them could be doing productive work. And it just yeah. seems crazy to to not let them do any work. Oh, I agree. And uh, uh, no, I, I've been lucky enough. I've not had to furlough any of my staff or anything like that yet. Um, again, all this could change weeks and months down the line. We just, no one has a crystal ball, but so far, so good. So I can't complain with that. I'm not having to do it. But that's from a, from a business owner's point of view, you know, say we, you know, and obviously we help market lots of tour operators. So say, for example, we lose half of our, our, our customer base, um, but we've still got half of them who need to be serviced. But if I don't make enough money because I'm losing half of those customers to service those, the ones who are still with us, and I have to put my staff on a furlough. I'm basically going to lose all my customers because I, they're not allowed to work. So it, yeah. it just—it's idiotic. It just makes no sense. Uh, makes, and I uh, you've, also, you've also got the calculation that the businesses who have had to furlough, and I'm in that situation, know what's getting done. Therefore, when we restart, we really are starting again from base. There's no work in the pipeline. Therefore, the, the government thinks all these people in furlough are coming back to jobs. They're living in cloud cuckoo land. Mm-hmm. Because most, a lot of companies are going to axe a lot of the people who are on furlough as we go back to business because yeah. the business is suddenly zero or a tiny percent of what it was. Mm-hmm. So Agreed. if you've got 30 employees that you put on furlough, you're probably only going to need five or six back because you're starting from the base. You're not starting from where you left off. If you were a $10 million operator, you're not anymore. <laughs> you're yeah. starting from zero again. Therefore, you don't need 30 staff. So all the government's done is destroy productivity by that and delay the unemployment numbers going up. I can't agree with you more, honestly. It's just crazy. Um, I've got two more um, two more questions. Um, second last one. 
I was from LinkedIn as well. Um, would you, and I, I can help answer this as well at some point, but would you recommend targeting things like Facebook ads for locals? Um, and on the caveat, just adding to that, what do you think about you know, people who are still running things like Google ads at the moment as well? Well, if you're doing paid market at the moment, you, you obviously have cash in the business. So if, if you have cash in the business and you've done your runway and you've cut your costs, uh, I would still be doing a little bit of paid marketing if I had enough cash to do it, which I haven't. Uh, for the operators who haven't got cash, paid marketing, you should still be marketing, but you shouldn't be paying mm. to market. Even though we know at the moment Facebook ads get fantastic value, Google ads are fantastic value, but you physically can't get anybody booking at the moment. And those, particularly PPC ads, are for conversion. That is, They're not there for inspiration. They're there for conversion. Facebook ads slightly different. They can act as inspiration and conversion. But Google PPC, it's a converting tool. You can't convert at the moment because because you can't operate, therefore, I wouldn't be doing paid ads. Mm -hmm. For targeting locals coming out of this, both of them are exceedingly useful. Both have the tools within the back ends of them to target exactly the locals you need. And you've got to mind, a local's not a local coming out of this. If you are deciding you're going after the local market, there are two local markets coming out after this. There's the ones economically able to do stuff, and there's the ones uneconomically able to do stuff because they've been laid off, lost their jobs, uh, didn't do well yeah. at the government's mad schemes. So who is the ones that can come and do your tours, your experiences? Well, anybody working in the health service, thanks to them all, my wife included, they're doing pretty well because they're working six days a week and working all hours. Anybody supplying devices or kit to the health service, they're doing well. Anybody in food manufacturing through retail, they're doing well. So every operator should have a spreadsheet with a list of industries that they don't want to target and a list of industries that they do want to target. Because everybody who's got the money to do what we do tend to be working or retired, but they tend to be working. And you want them working in the industries mm -hmm. that have done okay on the back of this because then your marketing spend will be better targeted and the conversion will do well. Because if I spend time marketing to hotel staff or pub staff like I used to, because their companies often paid for them to do the stuff I do, I'm probably going to get no return on that because they're going to be every every pound, every dollar's a prisoner when they're on the recovery. Therefore, I'm probably wasting my time marketing to them. But am I wasting my time marketing to people in the health service or the police or food manufacturer or the supermarkets? No, I don't think I am. They've been cooked up. They've been working really hard. They've got some money in the bank because they've not been able to spend it. Therefore, they'll be looking for things to do when they come out of this. So marketing is going to have to become more laser targeted than what it already was. Mm -hmm. But the two best products for doing that are Facebook ads and Google PPC. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and I'll add on to that. Like what we're advising some customers now, again, only if they can afford it, if you, if you are able to spend even something as little as £5 or something like a day on Facebook ads. <laughs> It's to keep your you know, brand awareness up. That's purely what it is. It's purely for brand awareness, not for selling at all. Google Ads, we're pretty much telling people there's no point at this moment. Yeah. But when we come out of this, and just by default, people will be searching for more local-based activities just because that's the only thing they can do. So um, so by default, that's that's the search terms that people should be optimizing for when they can do things like Google Ads, et cetera, further down the line. So, um, so we've got a question from Cathy. Uh, and then we do have one more, and that will be the last because it's, it's quite a, the last question is going to be quite an interesting one. But we've got one from Cathy. Um, what are your top tips um, for appealing to the local UK, local Scottish market? Um, basically, I think she's saying that she has been um, helping out another company, mostly um, with itineraries for Americans, many first-time visitors. Uh, she'd love to make this service more attractive to the British Scottish people, but um, doesn't know that market very well. So how would you how would you think for someone who's maybe more geared towards the Americans and international market, how they can sort of switch their content and switch their uh, itineraries around for? Well, but the product as it is, targeting Americans is not. I mean, I could be wrong again, but it's normally not going to be the right product for a UK market because it'll be very culture history focused mm -hmm. and at a price point that the locals are not going to pay. And you've also got to understand what is your local market. So I'll give you an example pre COVID. My local market of 30 miles around my Scottish business didn't do business with us. Uh, we just very rarely got a customer who wasn't a tourist within that local market who was a local. Once we got over 30 miles away, out to 150 miles away, we had a sweet spot between 30 and 150 miles, which took in Glasgow, Edinburgh, Dundee, up to Aberdeen. Mm -hmm. And then we would get people coming in who were local. So we understood that sweet spot of our local market. 
going forward because I need to increase my local to replace my international customers that I suspect are not going to be here, I will increase my local market to include the whole population of Scotland, which I didn't before. And so anybody anywhere in Scotland will be a target on my local market and going forward. My regional market, first layer, will be England because I now believe someone driving up from London is a damn sight more likely than it was previous. <laughs> and even if they come by train or the domestic flights start before regional and international flights. So you have to understand your market in layers and put radiuses around them because distance is always a barrier. That's a fact. That's just doesn't matter what your product is, distance is a barrier. Where are you delivering your product and service? And then distance becomes a barrier to that person getting to it. And you're more likely to convert somebody who can get to you and buy. If you just think about the economy again, someone who has to come and stay in a hotel or stay in a, a lodge or stay in a, a villa, they're going to have to spend more than somebody who just comes and does the experience and go home again. So there'll be people in Glasgow and Edinburgh, if you're in the centre of Scotland, that will go and come home again because they have enough money to do something that they don't have enough money to be away for the whole weekend. And then you've got people that will have the money to be away for the, the whole weekend. So you're, you're doing all this based on distance and economy. But to get back to the product, if it's a product targeted at a US customer, it is probably not going to work on a Scottish market. It may work on some of the market down in the south of England. It may work on an Irish market, but it's probably not going to work on the Scottish market. Therefore, it is understanding of what the Scottish market is in that distance relation to you and then changing that product to suit the market. It's hard for me to say without actually seeing what the product yeah. is, yeah. but you have to change the product. And I don't see the traditional North American tour sightseeing, traditional Scottish experience, can kilts, whiskey, hailing cows, and nice pub experience in the evening and some nice meals on the west coast all of that stuff we do for the the usa traveler it's, it's not really going to convert into a scottish market mm. no i agree i agree um well that was okay kathy um so the very last question um is from andrea any suggestions for a, a food tour company that was about to be launched in June? <laughs> I suppose it depends if it's a, 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 if she's going to be targeting locals or not, and um, whether um, yeah. I obviously don't know where that so, destination is. But um. so the first thing, Andrea, is put back the launch. Is the first advice. Uh, the launch is probably not going to happen in June, but things are maybe not as bad as you're thinking they are, because prior to launching, you had huge competition. And now I would suggest that the competition is getting smaller by the week. So it's not a bad time to do startups as we come out of this, but obviously you have to get your timing correct. There's no point in launching if you can't deliver the product. So doing startups at the moment by default isn't a bad, a bad time. You just have to appreciate the market's going to be a lot smaller. Therefore, you have to target the people that is available rather than a bit of the same rules as the existing businesses. Who you intended targeting as your customer is probably not who you're going to be intending or who you are actually targeting as your customer in the early days. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing because if you do build a local business because that's who you can reach, that means the fundamentals under your business are stronger for future disruptions to the travel industry. Local businesses are stronger in the long term than, than people who are exposed to lots of international. So I still think it's a good time to launch new businesses in this sector. I think it's a good time if you can be different from what's there, if it's just another food tour company in a city or a destination that's already got 20 or 30, and in some cities I've looked at, like some of the Italian cities, it's like you can't count how many food operators there are there. So you really need to look at where you are, who's still there, uh, are you in the right destination, and do you have the right market before you actually launch, and are you different enough from the ones that already ex exist there? I wouldn't say don't do a startup. Startups that history and data tells us, startups that are formed in the worst of times create better businesses in the long term. Yeah, I agree. If anything, oops, um, if anything, the starting just now, no, there will be, as you mentioned, lots of businesses who aren't doing anything marketing-wise, aren't doing anything at any point. So 
Now is probably the prime time to, as you say, start because you can start building up lots of content, start building up your SEO sort of foothold and uh, and getting a hold on social media and everything else. And then when we come out of that, you'll be, if we're out of this in three months' time, four months' time, you're going to have a strong foundation um, rather than starting in three or four months' time. So it's building it up now and getting sort of brand awareness out there, building up your email marketing list for future bookings and everything else when we all come out of that. So yeah, I think to, I think just now launching at the moment is probably as good a time as any. There's never a perfect time to do a startup. Startups mm. are hard. And if they weren't hard, everybody would do it and have their own business. They're incredibly hard. So there's never a perfect time. And to, although to now looks a bad time, it's not. There is going to be a travel market. The travel market may be the size it was 10 years ago for the first few years, but that's still a massive market. Mm. And all it means is that the really good operators with the best product and the best marketing and the best uh, all-round package will survive and other ones won't. It's just the rules of the market. So I would, I hope we see a lot more startups starting at this period that are more sustainable because a lot of the startups a lot of the business i've spoke to in the last six weeks they've been going less than five years i'd say over half of them businesses have been going less than five years and they didn't really build a sustainable business they built a great experience business the customers loved them i've checked the reviews most of them are all with five star reviews but there was no strong fundamentals under the business they're taking all of their customers from various platforms, so they had no direct relationship with their customers. They hadn't deepened the relationship. They, they were great businesses if things were going well, but they weren't great businesses if things even switched 10%, 20% down, never mind to create a, a complete wipeout. So businesses that start in the worst of times tend to build stronger foundations and will last longer. So do your do your food tour start up, but do quite a bit of thinking about it before you actually launch. <laughs> well, Peter, um, I've taken a lot of your time, so I can't thank you enough for for sharing your wisdom and your your honest advice with everyone, uh, uh, with with everyone viewing and watching and going to be listening to this later on in the various podcasts. So thank you again, and I really do appreciate the time. Thanks, Chris.